1: Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers' Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, the broadcaster, Adi Oladipo, and Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst. It began with a digital clock on the wall of the coach's office at St George's Park. It was counting down to the 2022 World Cup, England's strategic long-term target. Yet, time waits for no team and no manager. Gareth Southgate has a chance to win England's first major prize since 1966, the European Championships, which begin on Friday night. This is one of many lines to strike a chord, taken from Southgate's open letter earlier this week. He said, I tell our players that when you go out there in this shirt, you have the opportunity to produce moments that people will remember forever. He's right, isn't he, Addy?
0: He absolutely is. It's weird, obviously in the lead up to every single tournament what they do is they kind of take you back down memory lane to some of England's good moments in recent tournaments. And I'm old enough to remember sort of Tally 90 and some of the exploits there of Gary Lineker and David Platt. And then you kind of fast forward it to 98 and. Michael Owen, a young Michael Owen stepping on the stage and that goal against Argentina, right? I mean, you can't beat that kind of moment and Wayne Rooney's exploits at Euro 2004. I think the big one is obviously Paul Gascoigne and what he did at Euro 96 and and that's been shown over and over again and it's moments like that that are never going to be erased and this is what this group of players have the opportunity to do, especially there are some individuals in that squad that I think have the opportunity to almost carve their name in stone when it comes to England folklore and you know, I look at Jack Greenish and Phil Foden, and those are the type of players that excite me who can lift the nation. Those are the type of players that, you know, when they get the ball, expect you expect them to do something, just like we expected Gascoigne and, and Wayne Rooney and Michael Owen to an extent as well. So look, it's an it's an amazing opportunity. And I think the words there were almost not just a rallying cry to us as fans to get behind, but to the players, like you can be remembered. You can be remembered forever. And that's true, right? It, it will be forever if you just put on that shirt and produce what he's picked them to produce. And that's why I kind of go back to Foden and Greenish because they've been so exciting this season that they really have. Yes, it's in patches and maybe not for the whole season, both of them. I'm just so excited to see exactly what they can do on the big stage because they do remind me so much of Paul Gascoigne and Wayne Rooney. They kind of built like that, aren't they? Where they have no fear whatsoever. So yeah, look, I think memories will be, Banked from this tournament, and I just hope it's those two that bank
1: them. Yeah, I'm old enough to have been there in Bilbao when Brian Robson scored after 27 seconds against France. Yeah. So uh, you might, be feeling about 106, there, mate. Um, <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> uh, Adrian, um, hmm. let's let's you know keep up that theme. For you, what are the reasons to be cheerful about this England team?
2: Plenty of reasons to to be cheerful. We've got. A young, sort of brave, adventurous group of players, really talented players. Got a great leader, I think, in terms of Gareth Southgate as a, as a figurehead. The captain, Harry Kane, is possibly the best striker in the competition. The players that, that Addy mentioned are so exciting. Those are the reasons to feel cheerful and optimistic Unfortunately, there are are downsides. (laughs) There are downsides. I don't think we're anywhere near as strong defensively. I think we all know that. Maybe in goal as well. And from a tactical point of view, I feel that we we still haven't settled into a clear plan of action, a clearer identity. We still don't know. We're a couple of days away from... Well, yeah, just a few days away from England's first game. And we don't know if they're going to play with a back three or a back four. And really we're all guessing at what the lineup will be. So none of that is ideal, but we have probably one of the most talented groups we've had for a long long time. Yeah, I'm excited after the year and a bit that we've all had the potential for England to just lift the entire nation is is really really exciting and and I hope they can do it.
1: Yeah, here here on that one. I suppose it is right though, isn't it? Addy, that we we do look at the defence which is obviously a weak area. We've had an it's a typical England build up in, in as much as that we pick players who who are unfit at the time of selection. <laughs> mm. You've got the late emergence of of Ben White who who might in the future certainly be a realistic option in defence or midfield. I suppose the big call is do you play him alongside John Stones? instead of Tyrone Mings or Connor Cody?
0: It's interesting, right? Especially, look, I think without Maguire, we have to go to a back three and wing backs. I just feel like you need numbers in there. I just don't think he's that confident in order to to play a flat back four. He's been picked for a reason. He has. I don't think he's been picked to come off the bench. I, I think I'd be more shocked if he doesn't start than does start. I think Tyrone Mings and those two friendlies just... I mean, scares me every time, if I'm honest with you. I mean, what was it against Austria where he could have been sent off for that Albert? And that happens in the World Cup and you get sent off for a man down. And we've had that with England in the past, haven't we? And mm. that's it, he misses the next game. So I don't think the confidence is there in Tyrone Mings. Ben White's had a good season uh, for Brighton. I don't think we should go overboard and say it's been a fantastic season for Brighton. It hasn't been. He's had a good season for Brighton, but he just seems so assured and comfortable. And that's what I need to have as an England fan. I need to have someone at the back that, it is comfortable. I don't want to have, to have someone that looks like every time someone's running at them, they go to panic stations. And I think that's what Ben White brings in. Look, there's been talk about England playing all four backs, which, which surprised me as well. And maybe Luke Shaw being the left-sided centre-back. And like, I remember when England done well in the 2018 World Cup, let's not forget a lot of it was done from set pieces. And you look at that England side now, you remove Tyrone Mings and that, that's a lot of height you remove it from that squad. And you kind of wonder how England will... Well, fair in set pieces that they do remove Tyron Mings. So look, loads of decisions. But if it's a case of Ben White or Mings, I'll go Ben White every single day.
2: Yeah, I I, I think so. I, 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 and the initial selection from Gareth Southgate was slightly questionable, I think, because yeah, it, I, I wasn't. Sure, I'm never sure about Connor Cody, especially in a, in a back four. I think in a back three, he's he's okay. Um, mm. I'll. While I definitely see the argument for a back three, what I would like to see, and that this is definitely possible, is a back four that has Walker and Shaw as the fullbacks. So potentially, Walker and Shaw as the fullbacks, Stones and one other, whether that's Mings or, or White. I, ca- I can't pick Cody, I'm afraid, in a in a back four. But what that gives you is the opportunity when one fullback goes forward for the other one to stay in and to to effectively make a back three. That would be my preferred choice because I think it would be criminal to lose one of our great gifted attacking midfield players just to crowbar in a Connor Cody or a Tyrone Mings to give us that extra security when I don't think it's needed. When we've got full backs that can slide across and be extra centre halves, that is what I'd like to see here. I don't want to see a Grealish or a Mount or a Foden sacrificed for a defender, especially in the group stages where where I definitely don't think it will be necessary.
1: Yeah, it is interesting it? when you look at it. We talk about the X factor in in, in tournament football. You know, my hunch is that, that Grealish could be that X factor, yet there is still a debate going on as to whether he starts. I think I know the answer to this, Addy, but which side of that debate do you come down on?
0: He starts, for me, I mean, like, I've tweeted it every single time. I said, I don't, I don't care who comes out, Grealish comes in. Yeah. But then when I do my starting 11 and write it down, I don't know who comes out. It's quite, it's, it's so difficult, right? Um, especially if he starts yeah. on, on the left of a front three, which I think he could do, but then I think England lose a lot of pace and I think you, you want that Sterling or on the other side, maybe Rashford or Sancho pace because Harry Kane always seems to drop deep nowadays and you need someone that I think can really open up defences of that pace and Grealish drops deeps as well. So, Look, it's a conundrum, but that's why Gareth Southgate gets the big bucks. Uh, what I will say is if he doesn't start, I mean, you look at the bench, what possibly could come off the bench for England, if we are down in one of those games, and you really could have a situation where Sterling, Grealish, Rashford warm up. It, it could be that good that comes off the bench. But for me, Grealish has to start because every time he gets the ball, something happens. Every time we've seen him in an England shirt, and it has been few and far between, let's be honest, something happens. In a Villa shirt, we saw how much... Villa declined it when he was out injured he just he loves it he he actually enjoys this role of being the man and I don't think many people in the England shirt do so for me Greenish has to start but I'll throw it over to Adrian I have absolutely no where he no idea where he does start
2: <laughs> <laughs> he, he he loves being hacked as well by the way
1: he, he, he bring it on that, can, that's but, can, but actually uh, that's a serious point here Can you actually be too brave for your own good? Because in tournament football, it tends to be the extravagantly talented player who gets a lot of clog. So, you know, you can go right back to Pele getting kicked out of, of the World Cup and Maradona being mugged by Gentile. You know, throughout history, there's always been that issue. Is Grealish too brave for his own good? No, you have to play your natural
2: game. And if your natural game is to draw players in, and you take hits, so be it. And and it might shorten his career, but but you you've got to be yourself. And and I think we should encourage him to to play his own game. And let's be honest, I think we can all picture him winning a lot of free kicks yeah. and possibly winning several penalties in this tournament, which could make the difference for the team. Uh, Grealish is a non negotiable starter, in my opinion. <laughs> I would I would like to have him. I would like to see Rice with Mount and Grealish either side, and then have a Sterling, potentially Sterling on the left to provide that penetration with Foden on on the on the right of our attack. And I think that might be the way to to get them all in there. But it's it's a tough one. It really is because Grealish for me is a is a it can be a box to box midfielder. He's certainly an eight i don't see him as a, as a wide man even if he plays out there he will always come inside so so for me him and mount given license to to go forward with rice with rice sitting and and with the with the setup that i explained earlier where you're you're, you're keeping a back three together three of the four back anyway with rice there just gives you that that little bit of security so yeah tough, tough. but look we, we haven't seen this team in the build up to the tournament. Um, I know there are a number of reasons. Obviously, the Champions League final was was a big one, but yeah, I was slightly surprised that we've we're going to go into the first match without any match practice of late with that first eleven.
1: Yeah, well, I'm off to print off my uh, Adrian Clark tactical genius T-shirt after we finish this one.
2: Um, <laughs> well, it's easy it's easy to be a tactical genius when you're not in the technical area. That's for
1: sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You know, th- the, the interesting thing, I think, you know, you can question Gareth Southgate's selections, his in-game management, his game management. One thing he is brilliant at is setting a mood of a camp. And, you know, we're seeing it again here, that we, it was defined during the Russian World Cup, wasn't it, yeah. Addy? He's doing the same thing at St. George's Park, you know, the darts against the media and all that sort of stuff. How important is that sort of stuff? Or is it a bit of a red herring, do you think?
0: It's important. I think you, you want a good camp. I remember speaking to Darren Bent a while back and I asked him about his experience of going to England and he was like, it was nerves and it wasn't helped. When he got into, into the, the dining area, he said it was a massive long table and at one end of the table was all the United players, Beckham central, <laughs> Chelsea one and Liverpool the other side. And he said you could see the division. It, it, was, it was quite difficult and it was quite daunting. I don't think you have that with this England camp. I think everyone is almost friends with everyone, and even when there has been times when you kind of felt like, okay, there are incidents like the Joe Gomez, Raheem Sterling incident, it gets squashed and cold water gets poured over it very, very quickly. So I do think it's good to have a camp where everyone is singing from the same hymn sheet, and there is no no division like there was back in the, the noughties with all with all those kind of big name players. And I almost feel like Gareth Southgate's been helped by the fact that, and this isn't really including the players we've got. I, I don't think there is big names as they were with the Ferdinands, Terry's, Lampards, Gerrards. Those were, it almost felt like man-mountain of names. The, these guys, maybe not so much. I think it's an easier camp almost to control as well. But, but I love it. I saw a picture the other day of Jack Greenish's hand around Bukayo Saka and Arsenal fans were getting excited as though that meant something. It didn't, Arsenal fans. <laughs> but it's nice, see, it's nice to see a team in, in harmony and everyone, everyone being okay with each other. And I do feel like sometimes the media which is us. You know, we like to make things bigger than they are, like Jordan Henson taking the penalty and Dominic Calvin doing supposedly not happy. I mean, we like to try and create things that are not there. So I think what Gal Safeway has done is put all the team focused on the right direction. And so far, so good.
1: Yeah, it's been a, a long, at times, it felt an endless season domestically, Adrian. Will fatigue play a factor, do you think, in this tournament? It could do.
2: But the players were definitely... Tired. Well, you could see that the standards were were dipping towards the end of the campaign but look just just a couple of weeks off it can make the world of difference it really can and and the adrenaline actually I think the adrenaline of playing in front of supporters again might just take that fatigue away or put it to the you know put it on the back burner a little bit because you they've missed that buzz and I think that that, that will lift them in times where they are feeling a little bit a little bit leggy you look around the tournament and you think certain teams have got players that have spent an awful lot of time on the bench this season and, and maybe that might be an advantage for, for some of those guys but but yeah look we'll have to we'll have to see it's only a month a month of football and yeah, if England obviously win the group, that they, they keep the travelling down as well, don't they? So, so that that's an incentive, even though the draw is infinitely tougher if they are to to win the group. So, no, I, I don't think fatigue is going to be a huge factor here. Everyone would just be buzzing to be involved in a major tournament in front of supporters.
0: I do wonder as well, yeah. Mike. Sorry, I do wonder if. Um, Look, we always think of the, that engine room, that, that midfield that England have. And obviously, Declan Rice, you never want a player to be injured during the season, but you wonder if missing, well, did he miss sort of 10 games for West Ham? You wonder if that will help. Jack Grealish missed a, a bunch of games as well for Aston Villa. Calvin Phillips for Leeds United as well. So you kind of wonder if that engine room in the midfield, those players haven't played as many games as the rest of the players in the squad. So you do feel like they could be or well, they could benefit from the small rest they've had this season. And I do think England benefit as well from playing over here, especially the first games at Wembley. I mean, look at someone like Wales who are playing in Azerbaijan. I mean, it's 34 degrees there. I mean, you know, 34 degrees at five o'clock in the afternoon. So England don't have that issue. So I think they'll benefit from a few things.
1: Yeah. No, the one thing, ironically enough, is that they could be successful or too successful initially for their own good in, you know, I would wake up in the middle of the night if I'm thinking I've got Portugal in the last 16 because, because I won the group when they finished second. Uh, but, you know, notwithstanding that, obviously they, they've got to start the group well. They've got Croatia on Sunday, Adrian, very familiar opponents in a little bit of transition after the, the Russian World Cup. I think four starters retired immediately after that. What do you make of them?
2: Well, they're a good tournament team traditionally and that and that matters i think guys like modric and perisic have been outstanding haven't they in, at major tournaments previously but you look at their recent record croatian it's had quite a while since they've beaten anyone decent over the last 12 months they've lost to france sweden portugal slovenia and belgium so so they're infinitely beatable and in the nation's league where you, you're pitted against teams, aren't you, that, that should be around your level. They, they've won just two of the last 10, losing seven. So they're, they're not in a, a winning habit, Croatia, but they do have, obviously, good experience. You know, Not just those guys that I mentioned. Kovacic is another one, isn't he? So no, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough opener. But but England are, are capable of, of winning, it. Yeah. I think we all know that.
1: Mm, what about the rest of the group, Addy? You know Scotland begin against the Czech Republic on Monday. Let's look at Scotland. You know, it's a lovely way that they qualified, I thought. David Marshall at 38 being the hero of the of the penalty shootout. Let's concentrate initially on Steve Clarke, if you could. Is he underestimated as a manager? He's always struck me as being very successful at what he
0: does. He's a good manager. I remember, I'm a Liverpool fan, so I remember him coming along Kenny Dalglish after the job that I think a good job he'd done with Gianfranco Zola at West Ham as assistant manager. Done well with Liverpool and Dick Kenny, then obviously got his opportunities at West Brom. First season, good. I think West Brom finished 7th sort of or 8th, I think the highest position in a long run. Especially when you think of West Brom now. 7th or 8th sounds absolutely ridiculous for West Brom.
1: But then, done very bad <laughs> in the
0: second season. And ultimately got sacked from his position. Then got sacked at Reading as well. So, but it was difficult. He took a, it took a while out, didn't he? Then went up to Scotland and done seemingly well with um, Kilmarnock, I think it was. So look, He's done well as a manager. and I think, look, for them to be in their first major tournament since, what, 98, shows how difficult a job it is. And I think right now he's almost put together a really good collective as well. There was that issue of Tierney and Robertson. I mean, it's unbelievable to have two left-backs that good. But now he's been able to kind of shoehorn them both into the same squad. I think Shea Adams is massive for them. I always felt like they lacked that kind of bullish person up front that could get them a few goals. He runs around... Maybe doesn't get as many goals as he should, especially this season, I think, for Southampton, but he will put himself out there as well. So, look, I think he deserves a lot of credit, but I think people still maybe in the back of their mind have lingering thoughts about West Brom and Reading, but I think we should erase those now because I think the job he's done for Kilmark and the job he done for, he's doing for Scotland has been fantastic.
1: Yeah, interesting mentioning Kieran Tierney there, Adrian. Obviously, you know him well from Arsenal. He seems to be the leader that maybe Arsenal have lacked and and Scotland could benefit from.
2: Oh, I'm a huge fan of Kieran Tierney. He's got great character. He's a fighter, very grounded, brilliant going forward, as we've seen, but also a terrific defender as that third left-sided centre-back. So, yeah, wonderful signing for Arsenal. And, and he will be integral, won't he, to, to Scotland's prospects of of getting out of the group because they will be under pressure at certain points, particularly against Croatia and England, and they'll need heroes. And Kieran Tierney strikes me as the kind of, yeah, lion-hearted character that that could could be a hero for them. I give Scotland a chance in this group. I really do. But that first game is colossal. That's the one, isn't it? Czech Republic and, and nothing special. They're at home. Unbeaten in their last eight at home, Scotland, by the way. They've done the double over the Czechs in, in, in the Nations League. Win this game <laughs> and they can have one foot in the last 16, can't they? Three points. is every chance three points will get you through, given that only eight teams will go home after the first stage. So I'll give them a chance. Other players we haven't mentioned. Obviously, the manager is a shrewd guy, but McGinn in great form for his country. McTominay, Gilmore... You know, these are these are quality footballers to go with you, Adams and, and, and Tierney and Robertson. So, yeah, I I think Scotland are capable of getting out of the group.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward anyway to the Tartan Army laying waste to London um, in about a week and a bit's time. Look at the other home nation, Wales. They begin in Baku. Thanks, by the way. Addy for the weather forecast. <laughs> <laughs> They're playing Switzerland. Again, you know, as as Adrian said, win the first game and you've got a chance. They're playing Switzerland. Do you think they might arguably be the most vulnerable opponent in, in Group A, mustn't
0: they? Maybe. Uh, Switzerland are a strange one to, the, to an extent where all their stars have had really indifferent seasons and not even really seen the pitch much. You think of... Obviously, J- Jaden Shakiri for Liverpool. He's hardly seen the pitch at Liverpool. Does that mean he's fresh? I-, I don't know. I mean, it goes both ways, doesn't it? You think of Fabian Shah at Newcastle. Again, I think a very good defender hasn't seen the pitch much at Newcastle. And Granit Xhaka, their captain, who's had an indifferent season for Arsenal. I'm sure Adrian Clark would have followed him closely. Looks like that move to Roma might happen just to get him out of the club. So they've got good players, but a lot of their good players have had weird seasons. But Swiss are always dangerous, I think. Uh, they, again, they're almost a team like that does, I think, a bit better than they should in tournaments. They don't go further sometimes in the group stage, but they always give you a good game. So I don't think it's going to be easy with the Swiss. I think that the way Wales will be looking at Switzerland is the way Switzerland will be looking at Wales as well, as a team that has agent players, a team where, you know, what are they going to do up front? Are they going to play a false nine? Is Harry Wilson going to come in? Is Kiefer Moore going to come in? So I think both will be looking at this as the winnable game in the group. I think Turkey and Italy are rightly the favourites, and both of these were looking at, OK, we both need to win this game. Have a chance of qualifying for this group.
1: Mm. What do you think, Adrian? Are Wales a team in decline? Because if you look at key individuals, Aaron Ramsey's had his issues in Syria out this year. Gareth Bale, it's safe to say he's not exactly set the world alight at Tottenham. When you've got players who look to be shadows of their former selves, is that a point where you have to start worrying? <sighs> no. I.
2: I they'll be pleased to have them fit and available (laughs) and they're still good players aren't they? Blimey, anyone and Gareth Bale still scored some brilliant goals for Spurs didn't he? During during Mm. that season particularly towards the end he's lightly raced he's not fatigued from the end of a you know a brutal season same Aaron Ramsey and when you chuck in Brooks Wilson, Dan James some good younger players as well to go with those guys and Kiefer Moore is someone that I really like as well I think he'll be a good option he could be their Hal robson Carney yeah. this, <laughs> this time around you know that that battering ram of a, of a centre forward so yeah it's, look but, but the bottom line is you look at the form of Wales and the goals they don't score That's that's your issue I looked at it last 13 games in 12 of them they've scored a maximum of one goal and uh, that that puts that puts incredible pressure on on a defence that I don't think is as good as the defence they had when they when they went all the way to the semi-finals so um yeah I personally think this is going to be really tough for Wales and yeah I fear that they might head for head for home early
1: yeah it's it's quite a starkly delineated group, isn't it, Addy? When you think about it, okay, Turkey and Italy, who begin the tournament on Friday night in Rome, they are, as you rightly said, favourites for this group. Can we just look at them individually? Italy, you know, they've got a lot to make up for, haven't they? They missed the World Cup in 2018, but they've got a real tournament tradition. And how important do you think that will be?
0: Massively. They've got a, a manager as well that has got a really good tournament tradition as well since he's taken over Roberto Mancini, he's really changed the fortunes um, of this Italian side. And look, they're not your typical Italian side as well. They actually play very good football. And I mean that in the nicest way, in the sense that we always think of Italians as, you know, 1-0 to Italy and, you know, defensive, very good defensive at the back. But you look at that midfield and you kind of look at the players they've got as well. And you think of Verratti coming in, Locatelli. Jorginho has been maybe critiqued a bit by Chelsea fans, but every time he puts the blue shirt of the Azzurri on, it looks really good. And then, Immobile up front, who's had a, an interesting season for Lazio, but scores goals, It scores goals, misses a few as well, very much in the team of mould, but puts himself about and scores. So I, I really like Italy. I mean, look, they've not lost for three years. I mean, it's weird. They've, yeah. they've, I mean, they've gone from everyone's dark horse to everyone's like, everyone's putting a bit of money on Italy. If you've got to spare couple of quid, you put it on Italy because right now, if you've not lost for three years, I mean, there's momentum going into a tournament and then there's ridiculous momentum and they're on, they're on a ridiculous run. So... I'm liking what the Italians are doing right now. They've got the experiences of the likes of Cellini at the back. They're complete as a team. And look, they're might dark horses for the actual the whole thing.
1: Yeah, well, 37 goals in qualifying. You could say they've got one of the a generational goalkeeper, potentially in, in Donald Romero, who looks like he's, he's off to PSG. And also you've got, you know, you mentioned him, Adi, Chiellini, alongside, you know, Bonucci, <laughs> I just love Italian defenders don't you Aide? I bet you wouldn't want to play against them would
2: you definitely wouldn't want to play against them no uh, <laughs> yeah my yeah my one goal for England schoolboys was against Italy in Italy so I was very proud of that to score against the sort of resolute Italians that 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 did that did make me pleased but no they're, they're awesome at the back they always have been eight wins in a row all with clean sheets so <laughs> the form is is tremendous. If Immobile or an Insignia catches fire for a month, they can go the whole way. Yeah. But 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 if if they don't, then then that's where they'll they'll fall short. I think Italy. But yeah, they got a great coach in, in Mancini. But this this first game will be pretty cagey, I reckon. Turkey a solid. Senol Gunes is the guy that took Turkey to third place back in two thousand and two. And he's he's in charge again. He's a he's a pretty smart tactician. I think they've only lost one in thirteen Turkey, so yeah, that that's not going to be an easy opener for 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 the Italians. I, I can see these two being the ones that that come out of that group.
1: Yeah, I, I can see actually. It wouldn't even surprise me if that is a nil nil to start off with because they don't you know <laughs> yeah. they don't want to lose the first game with with Turkey. You know, they took four points off France in qualifying. Remember. Defensively strong again, aren't they? Yeah, they have got Soyunchu, haven't they? Demirao
2: as well, two two good centre backs there. Kabak is obviously another option for them. It was hit and miss for Liverpool, but he he looked okay at times. They've got Yukoslu in midfield, who impressed me actually for for West Bromwich Albion. It's quite a young Turkey side. They'll be passionate playing for the badge, you know that. Really compact. And then you've got you've got Cananoglu, who's a great set piece, sort of Creator from from Milan, he he can open defences up and then and then Burak Yilmaz, the old boy up up top mid thirties, but but just had a wonderful season in French football, so he'll come into the camp into this tournament feeling. Feeling great, so so there are a lot of reasons to like Turkey, and they've been backed in as well, like hey. <laughs> Italy, Tur- Turkey. I think they were hundred to one not that long ago. They're you know, sixty-six or fi- or 60, 50 to one now. They are the sort of team that could make a run. I think to to the quarterfinals.
1: Yeah, if we're looking at contenders, Addy, do we need to look any any further than France? Their depth is ridiculous, <laughs> and their experience is unmatched. You know, nine likely starters remain from the team which won the World Cup.
0: You know when you know how a team's depth is ridiculous is when sometimes you watch under-21 football. And I was watching the France under-21 team in the, in the recent tournament. and I, mean, <laughs> I did the same up, thing, yeah. Yeah, they had Opa and Kanate as their centre-backs. I'm like, wait <laughs> a minute. Opa just gone to Bayern Munich. Liverpool have just signed Kanate. That's the kind of depth. And when you look at England and we're begging for centre-backs, that's what they've got in terms of depth. I mean, they lost Benzema the other day. And fingers crossed he's OK because I do want to see him In this tournament, I think he's had a fantastic season for Real Madrid and upset Giroud a couple of goals. And now he's really closing on Thierry Henry. Yeah, it's just, it's it's ridiculous depth. It it really is. I mean, Pogba and Kante, I don't think they've lost a game together in that French midfield once they both started. Varane at the back, just almost controlling things and being that leader again. And it's not to harp on about England, but those are the things that you miss from England, right? And then you've got Mbappe. You could easily be the player of the tournament. And Griezmann, who's just waiting to kind of show that... You know, yes, it wasn't a great season for Barcelona, but he still is Antoine Griezmann from Atletico Madrid. They've got experience, youthfulness, winners all over the pitch. And, I mean, that group, France and Germany, I mean, I feel sorry for Hungary. I mean, they're there just to play kind of, (laughs) just for for the sake of it, aren't they? But that's a ridiculously talented three that is, and I... You wouldn't be shocked if the winner comes from that.
2: Yeah, worthy favourites, but one of the most ridiculous aspects of of the sort of betting ahead of the tournament is the fact that England are so close to France in, in the odds. Because when you, look, when you look, when you look, when you look at the squads at the at the disposal and the managers, you have to say they aren't proven in tournament play. Then, yeah, there should be a bit of a
1: bigger discrepancy, I think, between the starting prices. <laughs> Yeah, well, as you uh, say, you know, Deschamps is that experience as a player and a coach, has not he? Adrian, what about my sneaky favourites who are Portugal? I think they've got the lot. Let's sort of break them down. Defensively, that sort of triangle of, of Diaz, Pepe, Rui, Patricio... That's the sort of foundation stone on which you can build a really successful team, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well, they won the last Euros, built on a really solid defence, didn't they? Fernando Santos is still the manager, former Greek manager. We, we know what he's about. He, he can organise a team, no doubt about that. Slight worry that Diaz, his partner, will be a veteran. So that that is something that opponents might look at as a, as a weak link. But... But the difference with this Portugal team and previous incarnations is that before it was just Ronaldo, really, up top. They never had a (laughs) centre-forward that could score. Honestly, you look around now, they have got a lot of goal goal threats, haven't they? Jota is one, João Felix, Andre Silva, who who outscored Haaland in Germany, probably going to be a bench warmer. That's how many options. I haven't even mentioned Bruno Fernandes. So, yeah, it's not just the Ronaldo show. Once they get into the opposition half, now, so, so yeah, no, I think you're right to put put them down as definite candidates to win it. Personally, I hope for the tournament's sake that France, Germany, and Portugal all make it out of that group and get into the knockout stages. And look, from there, you could see two or three of those being in the in the quarters easily. So, um, yeah, some group
0: what i what i hate mike is that the you know we would normally look at this group and call it the group of death but they can all live can't they i mean it's just it almost (laughs) goes against you know the principles of three of those big teams being in the same group you almost feel like there's going to be a dead rubber game between one of those and just okay can we kind of handshake and get a draw on this one but yeah look i think what adrian mentioned in terms of what they've got going forward is is right and I love how they tried to kind of shoehorn Jota into the last friendly as well, just to make sure they can now play all their superstars and find a formation that can get Jota, Bruno, Bernardo Silva and Cristiano Ronaldo in. But they're winners. Yeah, they won Euro 2016. Let's not forget they won the inaugural Nations League as well. So this is a team that's used to winning now, which wasn't before. And I feel like they are... I mean, they're not even outsiders, are they? To me, they're right up there with France as the team that should and could win this.
2: Yeah, since Mm. the last World Cup, Mike... They've, which was three years ago. They've lost twice, and yeah, <laughs> they've lost twice to France and to Ukraine away, which is obviously an awkward game. Unbeaten in the in the rest of the matches, so they got a great shout. Mm.
1: What about Germany? You know, I look at it. I yeah, you know, I think you know to take Adi's point, they'll get out of the group because they'll, I think they'll finish third. Are they potentially? one of the failures of the tournament. Okay, I understand they won 7-1 over Latvia early in the week. I understand if you've got Muller and Havertz and Gnabry up front, you've got a chance against anyone. But I look at that squad, you've got a manager leaving after a long time, he's brought back some of the old boys, the old guard, Muller
0: and Hummels
1: and people like that. I just don't, something doesn't feel right to me there.
0: I wasn't convinced until I saw Hummels's pass to Serge Gnabry the other day on the outside of the foot. I was like, yep, yeah, sold. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in for Germany. I like the mix of the team. I do. I feel like it was important to bring Müller and Hummels back. I think that experience was missed from this German side. and I think you sometimes get rid of the old guard too quick, and I think that's the mistake that Joachim Low made. I think you add to the names you just mentioned, you think, okay, Havertz. Well so I think potentially could be a world-beater in a year, year and a half. I think he had absolutely everything. I think is always exciting. Sane off the bench is going to have that pace when, when teams are struggling in the heat. Sane coming off the bench. Kimmich, who's had a fantastic season. Gundogan as well. I, I, these are world-class players. Tony Kruis, it's East swan song. So I like the German side. I think there's a good balance of experience and youthful players in there. But I think the key was bringing Hummels and, and Muller back into it. And I think Muller's probably the most underrated player in the history of football, surely. And I think having him back in, a bit of hyperbole there, but having him back in the squad, I think it's fantastic. So I'm actually thinking this German side can do damage, maybe not as good as the French or maybe the Portuguese side, but I think there's a lot of good players there.
2: Yeah, there's more vulnerability about Germany this time, you think, defensively than before. But yeah, with those players, you can't write them off. And you know this, Mike. Stories are always waiting to be written, aren't they? And Jurgi Love on on his way out, obviously, what a way to bow out. And, and obviously they, they were beaten 6-0 by Spain, lost to North Macedonia. Wouldn't it be a story if if Germany went to this tournament and um, upset the odds? It
1: sure would, sure would. <laughs> what about Holland? You know, we, we concentrate a lot on managers, don't we? Um, Frank de Boer. Discuss not the best, is he? Yeah,
2: let's yeah. be honest. I don't, he's he's <laughs> yeah he, he's got this job because he's Frank de Boer, who who won a million caps for for the Netherlands, rather than his managerial acumen. I would suggest no Van Dijk either is a big big issue, isn't it for them? So so look, I think they'll be quite entertaining, Holland. I think they'll they'll have goals in them. Depay obviously is is coming in in good shape, but yeah, as soon as they meet anyone decent. You think that, that that they might they might fall down, Holland. So yeah, I, you have to look at the gaffers. I think it's it, it's inescapable, and you look around the tournament, and where would you put Frank de Boer in the in the sort of rankings of, of managers? The, 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 the harsh truth is he'd, he'd be bottom half.
0: Mm. I remember when this Holland team was being rebuilt, and you looked at the likes of you know, Van der Beek, who's obviously been ruled out of the tournament, and, and Virgil van Dijk, who I think, when he's fit, is the best friend in the world. It looked like a really good Holland side being built again. You look at it now and, I mean, is he going to start Nathan Ake alongside the Knit? Is it going to be Daley Blind? I mean, Patrick van Arnholt's had a new different season. A lot's on Depay. A lot is on him. I think Wijnaldum is a good leader. But I haven't watched Wijnaldum closely for a number... Although, I will say this about Wijnaldum. He seems to have his shooting boots on when he plays for Holland as opposed to Liverpool, so he can do some damage. But I, I don't expect them to go far in this one. And I'm with Adrian, as soon as they play someone decent. Like they did... I remember watching them in a World Cup qualifier against Turkey, when Turkey beat them 4-2. I mean, and Turkey are big outsiders for this. And I think that's, that's a good gauge as to where this team is right now. It's just not there right now. And I think that's mainly through the manager and, and the depth they've got in terms of players. Mm.
1: It's interesting you mention the, the managers, the gaffers, Adrian. Roberto Martinez... I think it's probably fair to say that there's a bit of a mixed report card. People look at his, you know, defensive organisation in in certainly domestic football. Yet he is really interesting on the difference between managing a country and a club. You know, he talked about, you know, you you probably take 60 sessions to drill a team in pre-season for a certain style or method. He said you've got to do that in three sessions when you're with an international team. Is he one of these guys who's actually found his forte in international football?
2: No, I think he's found the right team because
1: in Belgium,
2: he inherited a little bit like Arsene Wenger when he first came to Arsenal. He's inherited experienced defenders who can effectively manage themselves and organise themselves. They're not. You look around the, the, the Belgian squad, it, it's, it's ageing. Particularly at the back, but but the forward players, he can just let them run free a little bit. Whereas the back four, I don't think he's had to do that much work with it because you know Fatonga and Aldevaral, the others have have been around the block for years, haven't they? So I don't think they've needed as much drilling. But yeah, he's you can't argue with his record at international level. It is outstanding. I feel that they're 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 outstanding flat track bullies. But again, when they come up (laughs) against um, you know a decent a decent team. I think this time around the legs might might cost them at the back. You know, for Tongan, he, he's gone, hasn't he? Let's face it. I think I think he he's, he's, he's he can't run anymore. And football's a running game. It's a running game. And if 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 opponents had Lukaku up against Fattongen, I would love to see this in training. By the way, I'd like to see attack <laughs> v defense. Lukaku up against them lot, it will destroy them. So if, if I, think, I think if I'm Martinez, that I'm not playing Lukaku against those guys because it would destroy them in training their confidence. So um, so no, I, th- I think um, yeah, a pace at the back will, will cost them eventually, but but they'll excite us along the way. They, they've got an easy group, and actually beyond that, they've got quite an easy run if they were to win that group. So Belgium could go as far as the semis, but they won't win it. No
1: chance. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm looking for a bit of surprise from that group. I think Denmark have got something about them. And it is interesting. Belgium have to start in St. Petersburg against Russia. Now, you know, in terms of quality, you know, there there is no comparison really. But, and it's always a big but, isn't it? If you've got Belgium without De Bruyne, you've got a chance, haven't you, Addy?
0: Yeah, you, you have. Especially, I mean, not just De Bruyne, but if you've got Belgium with what is he, 25% fit Aiden Hazard? Is he? Can we even say 25%? I'm not quite sure. Then you've definitely got a chance. I mean, I have seen that they are going to try and put um, De Bruyne in a mask and see if that works for him. But I think any team with Lukaku up front right now has a chance. I mean, he, he's almost, this is as good as it gets for Lukaku. He, he, right now, I think look, a lot of people say Kane and Lewandowski are the best two strikers in the world, best two number nines, and and maybe so. But you have to put his name in that discussion as well has absolutely everything and he's firing right now he really is so I still feel like Belgium have enough just because of what they've got going forward and 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 we do laugh at the Asian defense but it is an experienced defense as well so I do think Belgium have enough to, to see off Russia but I almost feel like they're gone as soon as they play a big team uh, very much like Netherlands that they're gone and I feel their their title has been what are they the second or the third best team in the world is almost false in that sense because I don't think they are that. and But look, anyone that's got Lukaku up front, you've still got a chance.
1: Yeah. Well, if we are looking at stars of the tournament, Lukaku's obviously in the frame for that, I would imagine. And Beppe is another one. Adrian, what about Lewandowski? You know, incredibly successful and consistent for Bayern. Do you think he'll finally excel at a major tournament for Poland?
2: I hope so, but I'm not that confident because I just don't think Poland are very good. And you, you can only work with what's around you, can't you? And his major tournament record is really disappointing, isn't it, Lewandowski? And it's not because he's a bad player, it's because of the the, the players around him. So, no, I, I don't see him being one of the stars of the tournament. I don't think Poland will go that far into it. So, yeah, if you're looking for, for stars, you, you've got to think who's going to go deep into the competition, haven't you? So... So your Portugal's, your your France's, that you know teams like this, Spain, they've got one or two. I agree with um, with Adi on Havertz. I think Havertz has got potential to to score bundles in this tournament. I really do. Yeah, obviously it's a tough group, but he could be a, a real match match winner for them. Foden and Grealish for us are the, are the likely stars, but for Spain, who I who I quite fancy, I like Ferran Torres, even though he's not. You know, just not a, a starter for Manchester City. This could be his moment. He's a good age. He He's a good finisher. We saw that. He scored a hat-trick previously, hasn't he, at international level against Germany. He's got some real quality scores with either foot. I think he could be... And he's, he's fresh, hasn't played that much this season. I think he could be someone that that we're talking a lot more about come the end of this tournament.
0: Well, let's hope he hasn't got covid
1: yeah, well, that's that's the issue, isn't it, Addy? You know they've they've actually almost well they they have got a, a shadow squad in another bubble, haven't they? You know before they play Sweden, you know on that Spain team, you know my hunch actually concerns Pedri. You know he's only eighteen from from Barcelona, broke in there the last year. He's pivotal to the way that Spain play. There's a bit of a touch of the Niestas about him.
0: Anyone else do you think we should be looking out for, Addy? Yeah, just very quickly on the Spanish squad. I mean, you, I mean, Adrian mentioned Ferran Torres there, and, and rightly so. I, I like Moreno, who I don't think maybe gets enough credit, maybe because he doesn't play for one of the big boys. But I think we saw what he did with Villarreal uh, in knocking out United, or beating United in that Europa League final, and that goal. Just has a knack of sort of being in the right position uh, and scoring goals. So so, I, I do like him in terms of sort of other other nations. I, th- I don't know. I, I really thought like. <laughs> Turkey and we've mentioned them already, but I think Turkey could cause a few problems if they get if they get up and running. Italy, we've, we've already spoken about. Yeah, I, I think it's the it's the obvious ones. I, I don't think we're going to have a situation like Denmark in '92 or sort of Greece when they won it. I just don't think that's going to happen. I do think it's going to be the obvious big boys, but I, I wouldn't rule out a, a Turkey in a one-off match against any of those guys. But it's going to be France, isn't it? I mean, France, Germany or Portugal are going to win this thing. I mean, sorry, England, but it's not going to happen, is it? France are just too <laughs> too strong, too confident, too arrogant, to be honest with you. And they deserve to be arrogant because they're that good. Do you agree with that,
2: Aid? Yeah, they, they haven't got any weaknesses, have they? I think they're the best team in the competition. But the best team doesn't always win. In terms of players, the tournament, you're looking at Mbappe as, as the most obvious, aren't you? You have to... And then, but it depends what sort of tournament it is. If it's a gritty competition, then N'Golo Conte could be the one that comes to the fore, as he we know he's a big game player, don't we? So, so yeah, I think France are a worthy favourites, but but yeah, no, I, I think a Denmark or a Turkey can go quite quite deep in this tournament, but but yeah, no, I think a big boy will win it.
1: Yeah, I I just hope along the way we get something to sort of smile at. I, like, so for instance, I'd love it absolutely love it if North Macedonia Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) begin by beating Austria, who looked a horrible team when they played England (laughs) and then maybe follow it up with a cheeky little draw against Ukraine and they actually get through. That would Mm -hmm. be fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, to to actually pull all this together, chaps, I'm going to have to almost bring the mood down a little bit about the whole, you know, the recurring controversy around taking the knee to me it's reprehensible the booing is reprehensible of that gesture the almost willful disregard for you know the purity of intent of that gesture it's almost as if a number of England fans are working against the team that they purport to support what's your take on it Adrian?
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think it's it's such a shame. I can't, I, I just I put myself in the sho- you know in the, in the shoes of these supporters. And I I just don't understand what what they're booing. Really, it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. But then again, is it? I don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt. But we've we've been up in arms or felt felt upset in the past that fans booing the opposition national anthem, haven't we? And I know it's a very different type of thing, but it feels like, you know, this is something that that the fans are are habitually doing rather than really thinking about what it means and what the players, what the message from the players is. I, I, I don't, I don't understand it. I really liked Gareth Southgate's response to it. And I like the fact that they're going to continue to, to do this, why should they change? But yeah, unfortunately, I feel that it could be a theme in the tournament, and I don't think it'll be just being England fans this could happen. You know, around the continent, and it and it it's going to upset a lot of people. And and yeah, I just don't understand it. But this is this is the society we're living in at the moment.
1: Yeah, I pray that it doesn't happen like that, but I suspect you might be right. You know, I've quoted Gareth Southgate at you once already on this show. but I want to do so again. In that open letter, he basically tried to explain, and this is a quote, he and his players have a responsibility to the wider community to use their voice on matters such as equality, inclusivity and racial injustice, while using the power of their voices to help put debates on the table, raise awareness and educate. Now, if that was brilliantly expressed, and do you agree yeah, with that?
0: Absolutely. I almost feel like some fans just don't want that. Um, I know that sounds very basic in the answer, but it's true. I mean, remember when, was it, a broadcaster in America told LeBron James just to shut up and dribble? That's what you're there for. You're there to play basketball and do nothing more than that. And I think some fans look at these footballers and think, look, all you're there to do is put the ball in the back of that net and defend. I don't want anything else from you. That's not the world we live in now. Uh, these fans. So these footballers finally, and I think it is finally, have realised they have a platform where they can speak out. And if they see something that they feel is unjust, they can speak out about it. I think what you said was key there, Mike, about the purity of the intent of the kneeing. A lot of people have kind of likened it and trying to, you know, oh, it's Black Lives Matter and that's a political movement. These players are not kneeling because of Black Lives Matter. They're kneeling because of racial injustice. They're kneeling because of, other injustices around the world. They're kneeling because, you know, Rhys James had to delete his Instagram because he was getting racist abuse after a game. They're kneeling because Raheem Sterling got racist abuse after the Champions League final. They're kneeling because Rashford got racist abuse after the Europa League final. That's why they continue to knee. And I think fans need to understand that. And I'm sure that fans don't understand that. But... Look, I feel like we are going to have, and look, I, I do think it is a minority. And um, when when I was hearing the jeers, I also heard a lot of applause as well. So I think we need to uh, kind of un- put that in as well. That a lot of people were applauding as opposed to booing. We're just going to have them, Mike. There are my mum used to say there are bad apples everywhere, and unfortunately, mm. that's just how it is sometimes. As much as we want to change the opinions of everyone, it's just not possible. I think there are going to be some idiots that are going to boo, and they will boo during the Euros. I think we saw it with Hungary and Republic of Ireland, didn't we? So it's going to happen. And I just have accepted that now, but I want fans to understand and they're listening to this right now, they're not taking the knee in support of Black Lives Matter. They're taking the knee over all issues and, and, and racist issues and other issues that need to be resolved. And that's why they continue to do it. Mm. I would, I, would
2: I, I, I endorse everything you just said there. It's absolutely bang on. And it, it's better... I think to see the players take the knee and, and have this pure message which is has absolutely the right intentions, I'd rather see that and hear booze than them stop doing it. I think yeah. it's I think it's important that they carry on doing it.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, Addie, you raised, you know, the memory of your mum there. I go back a long way with Gareth Southgate. My mum was an auxiliary nurse and she was on the maternity wing when he was born in the hospital next to Watford's ground. She came home and told his uncle Mick, who lived at the end of our road, that he had a new nephew. Now, I got to know Gareth as a player at Crystal Palace and I've followed his managerial career pretty closely. He's always been a good man, measured, thoughtful, insightful, but he's really excelled as England manager. He's become bit like marcus rashford a moral leader for our times and i for one desperately hope he and his squad get the success they deserve in the meantime thanks to addy and adrian for their insight and to you for listening to the football writers podcast